0: If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. When the whole world seems turned upside down, we sort through it together. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk
1: TNT. Welcome to Weekends with Jason Olborn. And the reason that the world is upside down is not just because we're broadcasting out of Australia, down under Not at all. It's because what we're watching around the world seems to be almost so far removed from what we understand from devouring the facts to realize that people just are following alternate narratives now to a point where it's affecting everyone's lives and they must be held to account. How long can you live in this fantasy world wondering how it is that aeroplanes can go missing out of the sky, how we cannot work out the origins of a virus? But we can certainly tell you that the cure which isn't, is the only thing that we'll ever talk about and we want more of it. How is it that we can have an economic summit in Davos in Switzerland, attended by all the globalists around the world, and then Javier Malay, the Argentinian president, can waltz in and let them have it? No one seems to care. How is it, therefore, that the truth is so hard to get out there? Maybe it's because we're living in this alternate mockingbird reality, Tell you what, at TNT Radio, we are free from all of that and we will only bring you the real news, the real facts, the best guests in the world, and you will always be the most informed when you tune in to us here at TNTradio.life. I hope you've got the app on your phone. I- love that people tell me that they're listening to tnt radio in the car and of course now watching it on many of the different platforms rumble i hear from my friends telling me that they prefer that over the other alternatives out there and supporting the independent video streaming service over there did you know that this week on tnt radio just for fun or name some of the guests that we've had on various different shows roger stone was on this week Dr. Naomi Wolf was on, journalist Emerald Robinson, Dr. Pierre Corey, Meryl Nass, Jordan Shachtel, just to name a few of the people that have been on. You may be reading their Substacks, you may be watching their videos, you may be just following along and realizing, oh, that's right, I haven't heard from that person for a while. Well, guess what? When you tune into TNT Radio, you will find an abundance of the best guests, as I said, in the world, anywhere, at any time. There is one warning though that listening and watching to tnt radio may just be a little bit addictive you won't want to listen or watch anything else ever again and today we've got a big show planned for you here on weekends my first guest i'll introduce in a moment is alan dana he is a former Jetstar pilot, and we are going to talk about possibly the biggest aviation story in modern history, and no, it's not, vaccine mandates. We're also going to have on the show a young economist from Brisbane, Barclay McGl- McGain. and Barclay is very unique in the sense that he has this approach to understand big picture thinking and present it from a young perspective, something that's kind of missing, this detachment between different generations here, almost like we get a little bit fatigued, and don't quite understand, and yes, Barclay He's a conservative and it will be interesting to find out just how he sees what's going on in the world, also in light of his work with the Australian Taxpayers Alliance in uh, what Anthony Albanese this week announced the tax cuts. And we'll talk to uh, Barclay about that and if it is a good move for the Labor Prime Minister, or perhaps it's going to go the other way in his case. And we're going to speak to an author, Michael McCarthy, about his book, Follow the Money, which is How China Bought the World. And in the final hour of today's show, I'm going to speak to Kate Mason, who is probably the best researcher I've seen on the detail of what's happening with the climate agenda, the CBDC agenda, and also this um, managed retreat, the idea that uh, people are going to be moved off dangerous or wetlands or floodlands or whatever it is, in the sense of building up for uh, some form of smart city in the future. And we'll get the detail and the nitty gritty there from Kate. But my First guest today is Alan Dana, as I said. He is or was a former Jet Star pilot. He opposed the vaccine mandates. He is not the only one to claim that wealthy elites seek unvaccinated pilots. He's also a member of the Global Aviation Advocacy Coalition. Alan Dana, welcome for the first time to Weekends here with me. Jason, thanks for having me back on. Good to see you again, and uh, and it's a different format to the last time we spoke. We got a little bit more time to speak today, and I tell you what, it the timing of it is just. Um It's a big deal. What I wanted to talk to you today, probably as the lead story, is MH370, and I bring it up, because on March the 8th of this year will be the 10th anniversary of the plane that went missing without a trace, and after 10 years, despite all of the promises, uh, all of the money, the millions of dollars spent, um, politicians around the world, yes, we're going to get to the bottom of it, well, I haven't found a thing. There's nothing to tell us any more information that we didn't know 38 minutes after that flight took off and vanished out of thin air, and Of course, there's been a a million different um, uh, theories of what's happened. But today, I think what we're going to do is um, is just, just hone in on one particular narrative that's been dismissed, but it shouldn't have been because there's a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that it should have been researched or investigated and found out what's going on. And sometimes when you don't get answers or where there is an unwillingness to look, it's almost as if, well, look, there it is. The distraction's over there. But right here, and we're going to look right at that distraction today. How do you feel about that?
2: Yeah, go for it. Let's uh, let's
1: see what we can find out. Yeah, terrific, because um, when this plane took off, and it's a very personal story from the point of view, and I'll ex- I explained it to you uh, just before we started, but for the benefit of our audience, on uh, the 8th of March 2014 was the day that this aeroplane disappeared. And from a personal side of things, it was the last conversation I had with my late mother who uh, passed away sadly the next day, but we we had a chat about it and, uh, and she was obviously quite ill, but uh, she was asking me more details. She wasn't aware, she was quite sick, but she wanted to know the story of how it was. And and part of that, Alan, was the fact that she was a, a flight nurse for Air Ambulance. She'd done that for just on 20 years, and it was the it was the love of her life. She said she didn't find her dream job until she was 47, and there it was, and she passed away at 67. But she was a nurse her entire life. She was uh, uh, an infectious disease specialist. She was just one of these wonderful people, and of course, was, um, was shocked because she could never think of the idea that she would get on a plane to go and help sick people and never come home without a trace. It was beyond her scope. Of, of understanding and therefore I think that's why it appealed to her that it was such yep. a, a tragic scenario. But this plane vanishes 38 minutes after and of course we've heard all the stories and the and the money spent and Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott sort of weighing in as well but the, the thing for me was that in the early reporting of it I found an article and I think it might have been from a Thai newspaper and it said that the pilot that, um, that flew this fateful aeroplane that uh, investigators went into his home and they looked at his uh, flight simulator and noticed that he was practicing landings to uh, a little military base called Diego Garcia, and my um, my uh, antenna just went off at that point, and I thought, well, they're going to find this plane because it seems like that he's turned it off the transponder, or someone's turned it off for a reason, and it's ended up um, at, at Diego Garcia. They'll find it all. They'll find out what's going on, and we will then uncover this massive um, uh, scandal of whatever the story was, but that was a good starting point. I then noticed that there was a, another pilot, Field McConnell, that was doing a lot of work in um, social media had a huge following and he came out and said that his belief that it was also on Diego Garcia and I felt like well this can't be that how do you hide this 10 years on of course Alan we are nowhere closer to this discussion and that's what I was hoping that you might have some sort of um inkling as to or perhaps whether the facts support this um why no one's ever bothered to look there on this little military base
2: yeah well we can only speculate and then that's basically what we're going to do but we we can introduce some facts that need to be taken into account and the the fact is that the aircraft that have have had involved in murder suicides which was egypt uh, many years ago then there was the europe german wings which crashed into the into the alps and then there was uh, an, an accident with air france that was coming out of uh, i think it was argentina or brazil that went down in the south atlantic ocean they managed to find the wreckage from those aircraft you know and the, the the flotsam that that floats on the surface washes up on beaches years later and the, apparently the only things that they found from this aircraft allegedly washed up in Mauritius and the island of reunion but we're we're told that that's what they found and that the aircraft is at the bottom of the you know the, the southern indian ocean okay do we believe that well personally speaking I don't believe anything from the official narratives anymore. You're probably the same as me. But so what can we what can we deduce plausibly? Well, Diego Garcia is a little, little island with a runway that goes from one beach to the other beach. It used to be under British control, the British dependent territory, and it had a small population of people that were moved off by the British government years ago. And it was handed over lock, stock and barrel to the American military services. So they can do what they want at their airport as far as, you know, rendition flights years and years ago when they were torturing people and flying them around the country. So they use that airport for whatever clandestine operations they want to do and speculate as you like. But the the fact is the transponders that we talk about on the aircraft, I mean, those are really for when you're in, in range of radar. Radar picks up that transponder code and puts your tag next to your blip on the screen with your flight number, your altitude, your speed, and all that sort of information. Once you're outside of radar area, basically, you, you do become invisible because, until you show up in another radar area at another point. But the modern aircraft, the 787 that I used to fly, the 777 and a lot of the newer aircraft um, have satellite uplinks. And the reason that they have those is not just for um, navigation, plotting, uh, position location across you know, the Pacific and, and, and areas that don't have radar. Some of the systems on the airplane talk to Boeing, if it's a Boeing aircraft or talk to Airbus directly to upload information about engine parameters and all that information for, for trend monitoring, because it's better to see if an engine, for example, is going out of a particular trend um, and heading towards something that needs to be repaired before you have it fail. And I mean, this is why the reliability of modern airliners is so fantastic, is that we catch failures before they happen and repair them. And the airplane's talking independently from what you can switch on and off in the cockpit. So it's doing this and reporting back where it is. So we do know the fact that, yeah, the transponder was probably switched off, but the the satellite uplink for the engine data monitoring, that continued. So I don't know whether they can triangulate that position and work out where it went, but it was certainly talking back to Boeing uh, maintenance Uh, in Seattle. So what was going on there? Now, the aircraft, could it have been taken to Diego Garcia? Possibly. Could it have gone down in the ocean? But if it did go down in the ocean, and they've only found a couple of pieces, allegedly, where's the rest of the stuff that would have floated from an accident? Hmm. Because Air France 447 that went down in the South Atlantic, a lot of that wreckage, the, the floating stuff was found. It was floating on the top of the water. And as you say, if you don't go looking for something, you're not going to find it. And so that is the situation. Now I do understand that um, there's a report that the airplane may have been controlled from the ground. And what we, another fact that we do know is that Boeing is not just a civilian aircraft manufacturer, it's a top-end military aircraft manufacturer as well. And a lot of the military airplanes these days, particularly the Reaper drones, um that do autonomous attacks, you know in Afghanistan and places. they're flown remotely from thousands of miles away. And a lot of the uh, stealth the new stealth aircraft that the military are using now don't have pilots on board. they're operated completely um, autonomously and also independently f- with uh, remote pilots. So you it is plausible and it is possible because the triple Seven did have the Honeywell uninterruptible autopilot. And that is that is actually patented by Boeing. And we were basically led to believe at our training center in at Boeing in Singapore when I did my rating by the Boeing guys that the airplane can be operated remotely. And that was that was that was interesting because it makes sense, because everything in the aircraft now, particularly in the 787 and largely in the 777 is electronic. A lot of the controls that we had in the flight deck. Uh, the thrust levers, for example, the brakes, uh, the flap controllers, they used to be connected by cables to those flight, flight control surfaces, and you could not operate them except from the cockpit. But now, all of those levers are now switches that are connected to a computer, and that computer is connected to the satellite uplink, and that can be controlled automatically and independently. So I'll give you an example. When we were traveling between you know, Northern Australia and going up to Japan, for example, or Honolulu, we would receive an instruction via the satellite uplink from San Francisco, which would be our controller, with an instruction to change level or modify our speeds. All we would do is either accept or reject that uh, instruction from air traffic control. And then that would populate the autopilot and the airplane would basically do the maneuver, whether it was a climb or a speed reduction, or even a complete reroute, one button, and that was all we had to do. Now that pressing of that button, that can be removed from the cockpit and done independently from another location very easily. So again, it's plausible and not beyond the realms of possibility that the airplane could have been flying independently by a remote pilot from another location.
1: Now, it's such an interesting point there because you have a pilot or pilots on board. how therefore it could be taken over and and flown um uh, automatically would the pilots be sitting there uh aware uh, conscious not not perhaps um if it had been depressurized or something like that and and everyone ended up unconscious and therefore it was taken over these are of course just ideas to explore um but if the pilot was uh, aware and conscious it was taken over can he override anything in that at that point or is he kind of stuck there um that someone on the ground's taken over his airplane
2: well, I mean, in, in that situation, again, it would have to be speculation. I've never actually tried it in the simulator um, where you have control like that. This is pure speculation, but there would be certainly a lot, I would imagine, that the pilot could do. Turn the engines off, for example. Mm. You maybe turn the engine off, that would allow you to drift down to a lower altitude. So if you could turn off this the satellite uplink, but you wouldn't know if Boeing had introduced a backdoor very much like a computer virus in your in your laptop or your phone where they can actually doesn't matter what you do in the cockpit they've always got access and they can they can lock you out i mean for example on the in the airbus for example uh if there's we we'll get onto this later maybe if there's a situation where there is a pilot incapacitation the control stick that the pilot on one side of the cockpit uses can be locked out by the pilot on the other side of the cockpit by pressing a button so completely disabling the the, the, the flyable, flyability from the other seat. So these systems could be there. They could be in the background and knowing Boeing being a military, a military uh, company, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they put that kind of technology in, in, on the airplanes.
1: it it, this just it's quite incredible and we after the break we're going to talk a little bit more about uh what we know perhaps about the passengers that were on board and how this could even be a situation that uh that could happen and after 10 years you'd have to imagine alan that the uh, that the conversation or, or what you've just, just said now would have been things that detectives at the time in all forms of uh, all areas around the world who are investigating must have been throwing out these types of ideas, looking for a plausible narrative that makes sense as to how this could have happened. It just seems impossible that a plane can vanish and that no one really um, wants to find out or get to the bottom of it or even explore the reasons how a plane can vanish. It's just put down into a into a, a, a mystery. Uh, Ten years old. On and we just don't know any more about it. And therefore, of course, you would wonder uh, how it is or why it is that such a, an event could take place and why nobody in any official capacity is tearing or screaming off the rooftops and saying, we need to find out what happened. This can never happen again, but there must be a reason why it did happen in the first place. We'll take that break now on weekends and we'll be back with more here on TNT.
0: TNT's Steve Malzberg. If a president could be prosecuted, for things he did which he believed and was advised by his lawyers what what was was the duty of the president to do and then after the fact after he's president he could be prosecuted the example has come up today many times well when joe biden leaves office he could be prosecuted for not securing the border barack obama um okayed drone strikes against american citizens overseas he could be prosecuted for murder i mean this opens up a whole can of worms. Um, Pandora's box, I think, is the term that uh, that Trump used. Steve Malzberg on today's News Talk TNT.
1: Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn?
0: He was the National Security Advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son. And yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism, but the goal is the same. For the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did. To arrest me and Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules okay here's how we're gonna here's what we're gonna do and now I need some ideas about how to execute this these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com Are we on the air? Am I on the air? You're on the air. On the air 24 7 your news talk giant
1: ent welcome back to weekends my guest this hour alan dana and we're talking about goodness me i think it's the biggest aviation story i think that in history the plane mh370 with 227 passengers on board and 12 crew literally vanishes out of thin air and 10 years on at march the 8th this year We don't know any more than we knew on that day. The mystery continues. And after 10 years, assuming that there's been millions of dollars which there has been spent on the investigation, promises from world leaders uh, telling us that they're going to get answers, we don't. So we have to look outside the square now to work out other ways that we can track down what had happened. Much of what we're talking about will obviously be speculation, but it's speculation that any detective or military intelligence would use to try and work out where they can dig for clues and indeed facts. Alan Dana has presented some facts to us already, including how planes can be um, autopiloted and it's as simple as would you believe an instruction coming through and you only need to press one button to accept the new instruction that could even involve a complete rerouting of the flight that you're on so there's a pilot Alan that literally sits in a chair for um 10-12 for hours at a time uh, I assume and uh, and is just sitting there and the computer's doing all the work how does a pilot cope in that situation? Um, there must be a lot to occupy of course but uh, it just seems that the um the game has changed now in terms of modern piloting of uh, modern aircraft
2: it's a, it's a management role uh more than a flying role um from basically from takeoff uh, in the 787 you can pop the autopilot in at 100 feet and the next time you take the autopilot off is to taxi off the runway at the end of the landing roll at your destination so it can do the, the fully fully automatic landing and braking and stop all by itself you know with a, a few a few little uh, helps along the way as far as putting the wheels down and putting the flaps down but as we discussed earlier um we basically believe that this can actually be controlled uh, by computers uh, remotely so uh, the the management role basically is you you chunk it so you've got your departure phase where you get the airplanes ready to go with the flight planning and the loading um, you get airborne and take off. Obviously, that's the most fun bit uh, for us, but also the most dangerous. The takeoff is the most dangerous part because you're heavy, you've got all your fuel and uh, you're low and you're basically slow and accelerating. And that's where if a failure happens, then that's the most critical phase. Uh, so you get the climb to the top of climb. So that's the first phase of the flight. Then then you're in the cruise. Uh, the cruise phase, basically, it's just a monitoring role then for the rest of the flight. And uh, you've got some level changes, obviously, and then you've usually got weather. So going from Australia to to, uh, the Northern Hemisphere, you're crossing over the equator and you've got the weather changing from summer to winter. And you've got the thunderstorms and everything that you've got to steer around there all the time. Um, So basically trying to keep yourself out of the thunderstorms involves quite a lot of time. And then usually once you're further north of the equator, the weather usually cleans up a little bit. And it's just monitoring until you're a couple of hours out from your destination where you now started setting out before your arrival, getting the latest weathers at your destination, uh, your alternate airports in case you can't make your destination. And during the cruise phase as well, you're also contingency planning. What if the question is, what if, you know, every sort of 15 minutes or so, uh, if you have a failure or depressurization, where am I going? You know, what's the destination going to be if I have to divert? What's the weather doing there? So you're fairly busy and you pace it. Um, and obviously then you've got some meals and coffee, uh, bathroom breaks so that the flights can go, um, they doesn't feel like it get, it drags on, um, but you, you, you do pace yourself and then obviously setting up for the arrival is, is, is quite important. Um, going into the different airports. Now you're in a different country where English might not be the first language. And, uh, then you, once you start the descent, that's when things start getting interesting. Again, you've got to have, be well-prepared well in advance so that there are no surprises. And usually the biggest surprise that we have is if they change the direction of landing at a particular airport. And if it's a busy airport like Tokyo or Osaka, that can be quite significant. And that, that makes the makes the job a bit more interesting. And then you throw in a bit of weather as well as winter weather, sort of a little bit of snow or something in Tokyo. It, it, you know, you, you're earning your money and it, it's, it's quite fun. I, I
1: actually enjoyed it quite quite a bit. Yeah, fascinating. And yet at the same time with the uh, advancement in technology, one wonders how soon it will be that there will be uh, an airline somewhere or an airplane manufacturer coming out and saying that we're now fully automated. How would that even be received at that stage, do you think, by the general public? Is it a a bridge too far or is it something that may be on the table for full automated uh, flights in the future?
2: Well, as as we said before, we do know that the military is obviously where it first starts. They do all their testing there with you know the little little drone airplanes. Then they move on to bigger airplanes. Then they start uh, experimenting with the fighter aircraft. Because let's face it, having a, a human inside an airplane that does nine nine G uh, maneuvers uh, is quite limiting because the pilot will can black out in high G manoeuvres, but you take that pilot out and put a robot flying the airplane, you can do much higher G loads, which means that you may actually win an air to air uh, confrontation. Mm -hmm. So that technology then moves into the cargo aircraft. And there have been some, some um, experimental flights where they've flown uh, cargo airplanes automatically again from the ground, um, with pilots on board sitting in their sitting in their seats, but just watching. Uh, they're only there to take over. So they've done some testing on, on the cargo aircraft. And then you'll probably at some point in the distant future, I personally believe, uh, move into passenger aeroplanes. Now, will the passengers uh, accept it? Well, some of the passengers I used to fly to Bali who were just going on binge drinking uh, expeditions, they really wouldn't care less as long as they get there to get their cheap beer. Uh, but other other passengers you know, that are going to visit family, uh, want to get there in one piece and businessmen, uh, they don't really Um, like to have too much of an interesting experience on their airplane they may be more reluctant and you may see a situation where an airline does actually introduce uh, a single pilot airliner with a backup pilot flying from the ground on a satellite uplink and the human pilot is only there in case the satellite uplink fails so it's probably that's probably the progression but it's going to be you know Ten years away i think before you see at least 10 years before you see it for a passenger aircraft and personally um i'm not keen on being in the back in the back if there's only one pilot up the front
1: well this is it isn't it because as we've (laughs) noticed with so many flight um incapacitations of of pilots so that we've seen one this year in finland and, and many last year um, what's the, pro- the the process or the protocol at that stage, if you have a pilot incapacity, perhaps a heart attack or just unconscious, what would normally be the procedure then?
2: Well, it's de- it's a full blown emergency, basically. We were required at previous airline, I at British Airways and, and then Jetstar. It's an emergency procedure. So you have to declare an emergency to air traffic control um, because as um, we've discussed off air, if you have a subsequent technical malfunction with the aircraft, that airplane becomes a handful on your own. Mm. Um, so dealing with the incapacitation, the procedure is normally to get a flight attendant into the cockpit to assist with the um, with the incapacitation. Uh, usually, move their seat all the way back, uh, restrain them, uh, their arms and everything, because you don't want their arms or hands or feet interfering with any of the control surfaces, you know, uh, of the airplane and then basically once you've declared an emergency air traffic control will give you a priority approach and landing but it depends on where you are you know if you're out across the pacific somewhere and you're hours and hours from destination um you need to render medical assistance to to them if they if they're not dead or they just passed out you know they're going to to get oxygen on them they may need um a defibrillator if they're having a cardiac issues so um there's a whole bunch of procedures that they're gonna have to be doing but the, the single pilot will be very busy um, and you may need to get them out of their seat onto the floor to be able to do CPR if that's required. So, and that's, uh, it's 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 very involved. And then you've got to look at the situation coming into the airport again. Let's use the example of Tokyo in the winter or London or Munich in the winter where, where they've got deep snow and all that sort of stuff. You're going to be working very hard. So you really don't want anything else to go wrong with that aeroplane.
1: So when we consider, and I do still want to return a little bit back to MH370 in a moment. But when we consider what we've now learned over the last few years, how do you think that that's changed now in terms of administration of uh, of um, airplanes, et cetera, um, different airlines is the word I was looking for? Uh, how are they dealing with this this rise in um incapacity of pilots, are they recognising what's going on as a problem, a modern phenomenon? Are they relating it back to the uh, the solution to the virus, or are they just head in the sand and just sort of running along and uh, and pretending that it's not really an issue yet?
2: Well, personally, I think they're doing exactly what the government are doing. They're They're burying their head in the sand, and they cannot and do not want to acknowledge what they've done to the populations of these of the countries that have, have went a little bit overboard on their vaccine mandates and vaccine rollouts and multiple vaccines. The evidence is clear now. You just showed a clip earlier before we started of Andrew Bridgen and I speak to him regularly on uh, WhatsApp and the excess deaths are there. You cannot deny that at their own statistics, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the British uh, st- the statistics as well, and the American are showing an increase in obviously the excess deaths. They can't hide that. There's two things that governments can't hide is the births and the deaths. And it's way above their baseline. I mean, 17% I think is some of the figures. Now that's gonna translate into the pilot population as well as everybody else and all the other jobs that people are doing out there. And then below the deaths is you've got the injuries. And we know for a fact they're up. I mean, there's not many people now that aren't touched by someone that they know that's had an adverse reaction. And you talk to any nurses or doctors in the field or out of the field that are on side for the vaccines or off side, doesn't matter. They're all saying that cancers are up, the adverse reactions are up, and it's happening. But the airlines and the governments, the people that are in power, are just ignoring it because the implications of accepting it and admitting are just far too excessive to even think about. So what do you do? Well, in the aviation business, it's quite dangerous to be flying around with pilots that could be falling over. And it's very, very serious. So what we've been doing at the Global Aviation Coalition and obviously AussieFreedomFlyers.com as well is pushing to try and get a vaccine screening program to find those pilots that may be suffering an adverse reaction that they may or may not know about. Because... If you don't know about it and you're suffering from something just like going for a normal cancer screening you want to know early so you can fix it and the longer you leave it the chances of of uh, success and surviving probably become a lot less so it's not being taken seriously the only people that can take it seriously is the individuals themselves which shows like yours really help and getting people who have been vaccinated to go and get themselves tested and there's a whole raft of tests that can be done Uh, The D-dimer test is obviously one that's important, the troponin test, the cardiac MRI, very important, and get on a protocol, some of the protocols that Peter McCulloch has talked about, you know, to try and stave off any possible uh, adverse reaction that may not have shown itself yet. And the whole point that we, as pilots, go for a pilot medical every year, and for some pilots, they have to have it every six months once you're past a certain age, is that is trying to stave off any Problem that may be materializing, and that's why we have it done regularly. So, what's the point of doing that and not screening for something that is clearly causing adverse
1: reactions? It's just madness. Denial is a curse, as they say, Alan, and it just seems obvious, doesn't it, that uh, that head in the sand processed by the government trickling down to the um, airlines there and uh, not wanting to participate. And I guess. Uh, it, in many ways, uh, the government benefits from the airlines and the uh, aircraft manufacturers themselves that have been able to create um, airplanes that are just so technologically advanced now that stems from um, military technology as well. So in a way, we're lucky that we can rely upon a computer system to get us off the ground and back on the ground safely. But as you said, it's a long way before one, the psychology of having an um, a, a automated piloted plane is just not going to happen, but uh, the ability there that to, who would have thought that the pilot, the most important part of the airplane, is now virtually a liability, one way or another. That you just can't manage that risk or be aware of what that risk is. That's the, that's the frightening part of it. Do you think that there are there is still sentiment in the in the consumer community, the customers that are that are sceptical about flying, or do you think that uh, because so many people have bought the narrative that it's not really noticed yet either in the um in the aviation industry.
2: I think that the people in our community now on the on the, you know, free, the freedom movement, I guess you would have to call it, um, the, skept, the skeptics um, would be concerned. But I, I hope that I would allay their fears uh, as for you as well. If you're getting on a, a commercial airliner, even in the most vaccinated country in Australia with aircrew, is that the chances of both pilots having a, an event at the same time is so remote to even not even be considered it's very similar to both engines failing at the same time it's uh, one in a one in a million and that is the acceptable risk that we all take when we go flying and don't forget flying is still safer than driving uh commercial airlines i would say is is much safer but this the real problem with the vaccine problem we that we're facing is the single pilot aircraft that's the military airplanes a lot of them the fighter aircraft are, are single pilot and the, the general aviation pilots, the fly out in the bush, and the the flying doctors, they're all single pilot aircraft. Mm. So if and they don't have the sophisticated autopilots that we do in a modern airline. So that is a problem. And the thing that the government are getting away with, and the thing that the operators are getting away with, is they followed the rules. And if there is an accident, what's the chances of being able to pin that on a vaccine injury? Zero. So mm. it's, it's, you can't hold them to to account. And this is why it's so important for any pilots listening that are, are vaccinated, that are flying single pilot, or even multi, multi-crew, is go and get yourself tested so that you know for yourself and for your own family. Because it may come to the decision that you're going to keep yourself on the ground. Because it's, it's real, it's happening, and we know that we've been lied to for the last
1: three years. Certainly have done that. Uh, it, it is a hard thing to be able to restore confidence uh, in a system that uh, is in total denial of what's going on. And therefore, there's only a small uh, party of people who are aware and uh, and have to vote with their own feet. But at the same time, you, as you said, one in a million chance is acceptable risk in any part of the world to be able to get on. And you have to get on with the business of living. It's just that you have to take this, uh, th- th- these true risks into um, uh, consideration when you make that decision to travel overseas but commercial flying uh, appears to be um, uh, at least in that acceptable risk range and that's a, and that's an encouraging statistic there we're going to take a break and we'll come back and i want to go back to mh370 a couple more questions for alan after the break here on weekends with jason alborn on tnt
0: with his expert analysis and opinion
1: this is tnt radio's timothy shea
0: in a contemptuous display of contumacy just begging for a beatdown Hunter Biden went to Capitol Hill today with the express purpose of mocking the impotence of the House Oversight Committee. Sitting in the first row of the visitors gallery at the Rayburn House office building hearing room, Hunter smirked and laughed openly as the Republicans gave voice to their impotent rage. Far from fearing a comeuppance, Hunter knows that he has nothing to fear even from a criminal referral for contempt of Congress. Why? Because that criminal referral is going to go to Daddy's corrupt Attorney General, Merrick Garland. And nothing will happen. That's exactly what's going to happen to all of these people. Nothing. No one is going to prison. No one is even going to have to stand trial. Except for Donald Trump. And that doesn't bother me one bit. Why? Because by extending their reach farther than their grasp, by overstepping the mark and by their general hubris and arrogance, they are exposing who and what they really are to the world. And eventually, it will catch up with them. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. You ever heard of a polyp? Sounds like a rare species of toad. Actually, it's a lump that grows inside me, your bowel. Look, I'm pretty sure if you had a strange lump growing on your forehead, you might get it looked at, right? But when they're growing inside me, nothing, nada. And the polyps I get can lead to Australia's second deadliest cancer. So, until there's a way to make them grow on your face, it's up to you to get me looked at. Got it? Discussing local, national
1: and international issues. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk, TNT. Welcome back to Weekends and I'm delighted to have your company today. And I'm asking the questions with Alan Dana, former Jetstar pilot, the questions that we want to know answers for from a pilot's perspective. Alan, what do pilots talk about amongst themselves? And I asked that question in relation to two things, MH370 and obviously the vaccines, and perhaps even later there will be a third one, 9-11. Let's go back if you don't mind. Um, first, let's start with the vaccines and then we'll, we'll circle back to 370.
2: Well, the, uh, the the vaccine situation, a lot of my colleagues that are still at the company that, that submitted to the uh, injection program, um, I talked to them regularly and had coffee with a couple that have come into um, Cairns on overnights. And the subject does come up and they are voicing concern that they have no idea what's coming up because we do get onto the conversation and start talking about the excess deaths and the adverse reactions. And also some of the fallout. I mean, we just look at the suicides that have happened in the last couple of months. There's been three at Qantas just recently, uh, two at Jetstar that I know of personally, and also one at Virgin. So what's going on with the mental health of the crews that are still operating? Mm. The sickness levels are still through the roof. Now, some of that sickness is going to be Um, crew and staff using their sick leave because they saw those of us that got fired um, had a lot of accrued sick leave that that just basically vanished. And because there's no love between the employees and the companies, I mean, Qantas share price is way down, the morale is in the toilet, then the, the staff are actually using their sick leave. It may be genuine, it may not be. And so the sick leave is through the roof. So that's been induced by the way that they treated everybody and as I say with a lot of the mandates for the airline crew was two two jabs to be what they call fully vaccinated and then for the crews that had to fly to WA a lot of them had to get the third Hmm. and they were really very upset about that and a lot of them were like I really don't want this because they were already noticing at that point some of them had actually felt something physiological changing in them within their own bodies and they knew that it wasn't completely kosher. So this is why we were getting the calls at Aussie Freedom Flyers, it's just like, what do we do? How do we fight this? We said, well, you're fully vaccinated with two. It's a bit, yeah, they're pressuring me to get the third and I really don't want it. Now bring ourselves through 2023 and 2024, they are basically really don't want it with knowledge that they could be next at any point. And this is what the adverse reactions just are starting to show: is that you just don't know whether you're going to have a reaction right after the shot, one week, one month, one year, two years, five years. But because you've basically taken a gamble, which and that was a gamble that I was not prepared to take, and I couldn't be happier that I that I got fired and lost my job, and st- stood my ground because now I think I'm in the winning seat.
1: It's extraordinary, isn't it? But you have to trust your own intuition, your own research, your own intelligence, and, of course, the idea that you're able to communicate still with flying pilots to be able to determine uh, their attitudes. And it's very, very clear now exactly what seems to be going on at that level, Uh, quite frightening, of course, that uh, pilots feel so bad. And, of course, if there's any individual that would be aware of how their uh, body works, it would be a pilot who, of course, has to go through medicals every six or 12 months just to stay in their job. Alan, um, what did the pilots talk about in 2014 and onwards when they saw what happened in MH370?
2: Well, every time that there's a, a major airline incident, um, we try and analyse it to the nth degree, because we want to be able to get some tools and learn from others' mistakes, if there was a mistake to learn from, because there's there's nothing better than the information. Um, there's a, there was, a I think there's a, a TV show called Air Crash Investigations, and most of us airline crews have have watched those incident uh, tear downs because like i say if there's some valuable lesson that you can learn from it and it just brings it back to the forefront of your of your mind it, because most jobs become routine become mundane particularly when things don't go wrong as often as they used to and it it just focuses you to bring back you to your professionalism rather than reading a book you know in the cruise, you get the manuals out and just go through scenarios. What would I do if, okay, this aircraft went down, they made this mistake here, what would I do in that situation? And you, and you basically crunch it because it's, it's a valuable learning tool and you don't really wanna waste it because if somebody's died particularly, then you wanna learn those lessons. So for MH370, for example, we would have been going through the whole scenario. What if it was a hijacking? what would you do in the hijacking situation? We do have guidelines on what to do in a hijacking situation, but every situation is unique. And you could be presented with something that hasn't been written about and you have to make it up as you go, which is why it's very important to have critical thinkers on the flight deck. And that was one of the things that was so disappointing for me was that when it came to the vaccine, all those guys that were supposed to be critical thinkers suddenly weren't but um, I mean, that's, that's diverging from the subject a little bit. But uh, the MH370, yeah, it, it was, okay, is this a murder-suicide situation where the pilot's taken the passengers with him because he wanted to kill himself? Possible, was it a hijacking? What would you have done? It stayed at altitude. Okay, what was going on? How would he, How would he basically stay at altitude? What was he gonna do to the passengers? Did he depressurize the cabin so that they all went to sleep? That's a possibility because normally what happens when you have a depressurization in a passenger airliner, you put your masks on, and then the aircraft does uh, does what's called an emergency descent to about 10,000 feet so that you can basically breathe, because the masks that drop down only last for about 20 minutes. So you've got to get down to a lower altitude where you can breathe normally in an unpressurized aircraft. Now, the oxygen masks that we put on in the flight deck, they can last up to two hours, and they're full face masks um, like the military pilots wear over their nose and mouth. And obviously they've got goggles on as well that uh, keep out smoke if you're in a smoke situation in the cockpit. So if they stayed at altitude, which is, I think that was one of the things that did happen is that they would have had the, the mask and they depressurized, the mask would have dropped down, uh, but the, pass- the passengers would have only been able to use that for 20 minutes and then they would have passed out. And if they didn't get down within the next hour or so, they basically would have passed away. So that's what could have been done to the, to those passengers. So, and again, once it once it disappeared off of the uh, off of the trace or the information that we're given anyway um, of where it went, we will never know because we don't control the information and other people do, and we're just getting fed tidbits
1: um, to keep us in the dark. Was there any um, questioning of perhaps who was on? the flight, for example, who was in the passenger manifest, uh, because surely this would be something to be explored. Was it a hit, uh, for example, of some high-profile target? Who knows? Um, and, of course, there was speculation there that there was a group of people involved with a particular um, uh, business patent. Uh, uh, my understanding was it was for a semiconductor, and this flight was, of course, headed to Beijing. Uh, and so it's, it's that type of information that just seems to be underexplored. And um, and the term underexplored is, is relevant because the opposite is, oh, Look, a dismissal, look, we don't need to look at that. I fail to um, to, to, to believe any authority that says, oh no, we, we can dismiss that out of hand uh, when we've seen so much that's going on. And of course, government is so guilty of always over-promising and under-delivering, whereas in business, it works the other way. You're meant to under-promise and over-deliver in order to build trust and and, and consumer satisfaction. But governments are notorious for going the other way. They they, they take over everything, of course, want to dictate our lives and, and don't deliver. So I find it, again, a fascinating point there that um, that with the pilots that must have been thinking could could this be a one-off? And of course, it was only a matter of a few months later when MH17, uh, also Malaysian Airlines, was shot down. Um, if you were a Malaysian Airlines pilot at that stage, I, I can't imagine how horrific it would have been because, of course, the airline itself was re-nationalised because it, no one wanted to fly on it anymore. It seemed it was that bad. It was it was it was shocking. How did that affect the industry at that time, or was it isolated to Malaysian only?
2: Well, I think I th- depends on the the, the travelling public and, the, and your and your view of where you want to go, when you want to go. Really, if you look at the safety uh, profile of the airlines around the world, the safest airlines to fly on are the the, the Western countries. So you look at uh, European airlines, for example, the United States, Canada, um, Australia, definitely. Um, the, the safety profile of those countries is 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 very very high. All of the other com- airlines and countries uh, are basically playing catch up and the reason is a lot of that is cultural because we are very self-critical um in the training regimes in those countries uh, whereas when you get into other countries that have uh cultural hang-ups so the asia one for one example particularly you know the japanese uh face saving the koreans you know you have they you have to face saving, you know, it's an embarrassment situation. You know, the African countries are a a different kettle of fish. South America, you've got the machismo. Um, Then you get into the Middle East again, machismo again in the the Middle East, and you've got these other situations. So if you want to be sure um, for the highest levels of safety, stick with a Western airline, definitely. And as you go around the world, you know, the, the safety levels definitely go down. Malaysian, again, they were high, but again, behind Western airlines. Now, getting shot down there's not a lot you can do about that and those those routes were traversed by other airlines as well I think there was a Lufthansa in front of the aircraft I think there was a there was a British Airways behind them I'm not sure to be exact but it could have been any one of those other aircraft and again it's the rumor mill was it um was it somebody on the ground that shot them down was it the Russians we don't know again it's all speculation the truth we'll never know We'll never know what it was. But certainly two incidents in a very short space of time, very concerning. And the real reasons, speculation.
1: Now, another completely different story. This week we saw the United Airlines CEO, Scott Kirby, in drag doing some weird performance. Did you catch that video that popped I up s- all over social media?
2: I saw that. And, it, and this, is, this is just like they got their eye completely off the ball. What are these people doing? are they deliberately trying to to ruin the industry because you know they've been given the nod that people won't be flying anyway so it doesn't really matter what you do uh you know qantas are doing the same thing painting their aircraft in ridiculous colors british airways same thing virgin you know the the ceo of virgin branson he's been caught you know in in drag uniform from from the airline you know multiple times he's always doing something stupid like that and it started off with publicity stunt but now they're all at it so What's the wider story here? Why are they doing this? You know, And then you've got the situation with Boeing recently with the Air Alaska aircraft with the, with the door just popped out. Well, what on earth is going on with their standards? And you look back to some of the hires that they've done over the last you know, few months, they've been employing people on their diversity, equity and inclusion standards. So they're not hiring people on merit, on being able to do a good job they're hiring them for some other thing other than the safety uh, of their aircraft so this is what you end up with so the people with professionalism within those organizations they're banging their head against the wall because the management and the people that you're supposed to complain to they're not interested they're interested in their diversity quotas and you end up with falling safety standards and and the, this situation with the with the Boeing 737 with the door popping out was that's where it basically comes from and any airline that is starting to invest in this diversity rubbish, is their safety standards are going to go through the floor, and I would be certainly avoiding them. And any airline out there that uh, goes completely against that nonsense, I'd buy a ticket with them. <laughs> and not because
1: you're anti-anything, but you're pro-safety and you're pro-highest exactly. pro yeah, standards. Exactly,
2: exactly. You, you yeah.
1: want to make sure that you get you get home, that's for sure absolutely now um i'm just wondering if you received for christmas or have you read alan joyce's book (laughs) i didn't know he'd written one (laughs) well apparently it was out for christmas alan joyce and qantas and i was wondering how soon it would end up in the two dollar bin um i couldn't quite work out how anyone would want to think that the man that seemed to rake in the millions of dollars and perform a great disservice to qantas and almost become a almost a a mini um dictator there in the airline that he would write a book soon after walking away early from his contract, much was the um uh the disappointment many have that he wouldn't even front up on uh on the uh the Senate hearing in the Australian Parliament. Uh and he was even threatened with arrest at some stage. And then a book comes out so interesting that the uh publicity was uh was was that poor that not even um the, the pilots knew that it was coming out. I find that hysterical. In its own that's way. hilarious. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's that's hilarious and there it is do you have confidence alan that uh one day that we will get to the bottom of it or are we going to have to play this thing out for a period of perhaps years before there are significant changes and therefore a real change in the management of how um uh, aviation works in this country and of course around the world
2: well the this the ceos of the airlines need to have their come to jesus moment and basically take a long good look at themselves and what on earth they're trying to achieve and like i say if they are part of a wider story that they are trying to reduce the amount of flying that we all do because of their you know climate goals maybe that's why they just don't care but if they if they're not and they're really looking at uh, getting their businesses back up and get some respect from the traveling public and start treating people their employees and the customers properly then they've got a chance of of rebuilding the brand but certainly they need to acknowledge what's happened with the covid pandemic the vaccines the mandates that cannot be ignored. If they come out and basically approach us and want to talk to us about rebuilding their brand, we're happy to help. Because they're certainly, certainly in the poo and they've got a lot of rebuilding to do and they need to accept what they've done and then you can start to rebuild. But at the moment, They've got the the federal case where they've got to pay the compensation to the ground workers that they fired a long time uh, last year. They lost that appeal. They've got, that's upwards of $200 million that they could be forking out. So their share price is definitely going to be going lower. And um, I'm not going to be holding my breath for Vanessa Hudson because um, she's basically
1: taken the poison chalice. Yep, exactly. Now fully understand where you're coming from. Alan Dana from AussieFreedomFlyers.com. Thank you for your time today. interesting that we can speculate and look forward to uh, perhaps answers 10 years on in MH370. We're going to take news and be back with more here on TMT.